The Truth News Network. In a world where defying the narrative means the end of a career, the destruction of a life, and courage is defined as kneeling during an anthem or dressing as the opposite sex, real courage is in telling the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. And here, with his superpower today, is Dan Newman. Well, let me make a prediction for you. We're going to make it today. We've got today. And we're good today, right now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new week. And uh, we're looking right down the barrel of fall, folks. September is just around the corner. I can't believe the summer's gone. I can't believe 2021, three quarters of it almost is gone. Man, things fly by. You remember 2020? Remember the, the lockdowns? We couldn't go anywhere. We basically weren't seeing any people. Couldn't go to church. Couldn't go to the grocery store without scaring everybody around you to death. Couldn't go to restaurants. Couldn't go to school functions. The world changed dramatically in 2020. And we're still living in that same drama scene. And it's scary. People are afraid. People are angry. People are hurting. People are losing other people family members. We're in our second year of this stinking pandemic that was really not supposed to be a pandemic, and we don't have the truth about it. We hear all kinds of stories, and every story we hear from the so-called experts, some other so-called experts come up right behind them and negate what the first expert said using evidence, and the first expert used evidence. What kind of world is this in which we find ourselves living? Where are the certainties about life? I mean, we've always had things that we could just accept fundamentally that gave us a great start on every day. I mean, we are living in the greatest nation on the planet. Or are we? I mean, in the past, in my lifetime, we've never questioned that. We knew we were. But here we are. We have a group of terrorists over in the Middle East that are controlling our government. Our government is begging these terrorists to take care of our people that are over there behind enemy lines. I don't ever remember living in a nation where we had to reach out to a, a, a political, even a military opponent and try to get them to help us out. Come on. Isn't this the United States of America? Isn't that where we live? The home of the free and the brave, the greatest military in world history. And we've got a ragtag group of people that live and are comfortable living in the the mountains in Afghanistan, and they're controlling a huge segment of our entire United States operations, our government, our military. And we have Americans over there that are being beaten. And we have a government that's hiding those facts. Every day now we hear this administration bragging, oh, we got 2,000 people out. We got 3,000 people out. So far, 17,000 people have gotten out. They won't tell us how many Americans are numbered among those 17,000. And it's even more than that now. But what we do know, is very few of them are Americans, folks. And 
Every day we're hearing from behind enemy lines in Afghanistan, American citizens on cell phones begging, pleading for the Biden administration to come evacuate them, get them out safely. Meanwhile, we hear the stories of the Brits getting their people out, the French getting their people out, and we even heard of 169 Americans being rescued from a hotel less than 200 yards from the gates of the Kabul airport using helicopters. So I guess maybe it's really this. It depends on who you are as an American if the Biden administration's going to take any chances to get you out. This is insane. I'll quote... I'll quote a former prime minister of the UK, Tony Blair. He didn't use the word insane describing the Biden Afghanistan debacle. The word he used was imbecilic. In other words, what's happening is happening on the watch of a group of imbeciles. I got to be honest with you. Let me let, let me tell you. Joe Biden is trying to cement some kind of position or perception of his administration in the minds and the hearts of Americans for history. I don't give a rat's patoot about what history says about something. The only things that matter to me are there are Americans that are under siege in Afghanistan that many of are just within a few hundred yards of that gate at that airport And our government is not doing anything. And maybe they are trying to do something. But folks, I've always had a military representation here in the United States that I was confident that whatever it took, they were going to come get me, keep me safe if anything happened. And we don't have that from this commander-in-chief. We have a feckless cognitive declining man in the White House that is engaged in occupancy of the highest seat of government in the world? Well, I had to rant. Come on now, it's Monday. We can get started that way. So looking ahead this week, what do we have? One day this week, folks, Roger Stone, you know that that name, Roger Stone? President Trump's close confidant, he was uh, targeted and berated and excoriated in a very humiliating public fashion in the fake Russia collusion investigation by Robert Mueller. You remember that? He wasn't charged with anything criminal. He had no record of any kind of um, criminal background. He's my age, and in the wee hours of the morning, The FBI was sent to his house. And somebody gave CNN a heads up, and it was nationally televised, where they went to his house and drug he and his wife out of the house and arrested him, making a big statement. We're getting Donald Trump and everybody who's around him. Well, Roger's going to be with us this week, thanks to Kelly Nelson, who you read her, her offerings probably every other week or so on Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org. And uh, he's going to be with us. We are going to have a surprise guest or two during this week as well. And then there's you. You're going to be here. And that's all that really matters. 
before we dive into this Afghanistan stuff, and we're not just going to talk about Afghanistan, let me make you puke real quickly. The FDA was just announced formally, formally gave the green light to Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccination. It's approved. Drum roll, anybody? I don't know if that makes you happy, but it makes me nauseated. Folks, those things have got, those things being the vaccines, they've got things in them that are not good. And let me just give you a little preface of what's ahead. Have you heard of Dr. Sean Brooks? If you haven't heard of Dr. Sean Brooks later in the show in our second hour, you're going to hear from Dr. Sean Brooks uh, addressing a school board. And Dr. Brooks, let me tell you, he is a brilliant physician, doctor, Oxford trained, 23 books he's published, and he is very demonstrative when he speaks. He's going to peel all the darkness off of your questions about COVID-19's vaccinations. He'll be with us in the second hour. So much more to get into, but let's just, let's just go here. Let's just go here for just a moment. Don't be afraid. I mean, fear is not something that we have no choice over. It's not something that just wells up and just grabs us by the throat and we can't get away from it. We don't become fearful unless we choose to let fear enter our lives. So I encourage you with all the uncertainty around us, the vaccines, the administration, um, ISIS is back. Yes, they're back. (laughs) Of course they're back. We're leaving Afghanistan. So Hey, 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 it's party time. They're joining their brothers, the Taliban, in Afghanistan. And who else could be there? We don't have any idea. But the bad folks are out, and they're getting a lot of press. And you know who likes that press? They do, as does every other terrorist at heart around the world. You know, there's a reason why when there's a mass shooting, legitimate media outlets don't give the mass shooters names on the air because it glorifies the shooter and there's always a lot of copycat stuff going on. I'm very concerned about that in this scenario in which we find ourselves. I mean, we're in the midst of a pandemic here domestically and we're also at the hands of Joe Biden and the Biden administration. We're in the midst of two, two humanitarian crises. Both of them are of the making of the Biden administration and this president. There's the one he started day one as president of the United States at our southern border. That is still a humanitarian crisis. I saw a graphic this morning that just blew my mind. 245 miles of Mexican border in West Texas in what they call the Del Rio sector, Del Rio, Texas. 245 miles. Do you know how many Border Patrol agents there are right now today that we have that can actually go out and patrol that 245 miles? 17. 17 men and women have the unilateral responsibility of policing a 245-mile section of our border in southwest Texas. And this is a president that swore an oath and raised his hand, 
put it in the air, the other one on the Bible, swore an oath to protect us. And on his watch, he has just flatly opened the southern border to whoever wants to come in. And to make matters worth, what's going on with this other humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan? Do you know what he's doing now? Do you know that the State Department put out an email to everybody that is on their email list that's in their database for those that we are evacuating out of Afghanistan? And they wanted to notify every American that you're not getting a free pass. It's no free plane trip back to the U.S. When you get on the jet, if you're an American, you have to sign a promissory note. They say, oh, you don't have to pay anything up front, but you got to sign a promissory note for $2,000 per person. And at some point, Uncle Sam's going to expect you to pay that back. The numbers that we have been able to piece together of the makeup of those that are on these transport planes that are flying out of Afghanistan going, many of them are going to Qatar, some are going straight to Germany, other places. The makeup of Afghanis refugees to American citizens, the best we can come up with, it's 10 to 1 Afghanis. None of them or signing any promissory notes. None of them are going to have to pay a dime. If you're an American citizen, if you were over there serving your country, and uh, if you were working for the government in some capacity, maybe as a, a contractor, an employee of a contractor, contracted to the American government to do work for the American government in Afghanistan, you're on the hook for two grand. And basically what they're saying is you need to kiss our boop because we get you out. I love being an American right now. I'm proud of America right now. I wish I could pull an election lever or two or three and make some changes right now. We'll get to that, but we won't get to it for another 18 months. Now, remember the great planner, the great organizer, the great foreign policy guy, greatest foreign policy guy ever to run for president, Joe Biden. You remember the name Robert Gates? He was the Secretary of Defense under two presidents, one Democrat, one Republican. Here's what he said about Joe Biden many, many years ago. <laughs> and it's when Biden, uh, one other time when he was thinking about running for president, Robert Gates who is a foreign policy expert, believe me. If you hadn't read, he wrote a book after uh, he left serving as a Secretary of Defense. He wrote a book. It's, I got the audio version and listened to it. He's brilliant. Here's what he said about our president, and this is a quote. Joe Biden has been wrong on every single foreign policy he has ever weighed in on. He has been dead wrong. And I think, and this is me now, I think Joe Biden's batting a, a thousand. <laughs> he has missed this one a mile. He's the great planner. I mean, he speaks Talibanis, and that's a new language that Joe Biden created. He creates a new word or two every day when he gets a microphone. He had it all worked out. Yeah, the Taliban and 
I pushed it back. You know, we uh, we had agreements, but uh, we're going to be out of there August 31st. And if we need a little more time, we'll just let them know. Well, one senior Taliban spokesman, he got on Sky News. You know, our partners down in Australia, the people that you hear often here on TNN Live, uh, they got him on the air. And he said that the U.S. and its ally Britain will face consequences, his word, if they seek to extend their military presence in Afghanistan to ensure the safe evacuation of their citizens. So remember, way back, Biden said, hey, we're going to be back. We're going to be out of there. We'll be back in the U.S., bringing all our troops and every American home by August 31st. Previously, though, he had announced the withdrawal would end on September 11th, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Both dates were significant in extension of the war from that set withdrawal date under which Donald Trump, who brokered a deal, a real deal, a real brokered deal, one that had meat on the bones, one that had requirements for everybody party to that deal, like the Taliban and the Afghanistan government in the U.S. It was originally set for there to be a full American military exit by May 1. We just blew right through that, uh, we being Joe Biden. So the Taliban followed Biden's extension of the war and his choice to break the agreement that Trump brokered, and they did so with a nationwide campaign to overthrow the now former government of, Afghan- of Afghanistan. The campaign culminated with Taliban terrorists surrounding the country's capital, Kabul, on the 15th of this month, prompting former President Ashraf Ghani to abruptly flee the country. So now, Taliban controls nearly all of Afghanistan, accepting a small pocket of resistance in North Central in a province up there, which the jihadists claimed on Monday they had surrounded and would soon uh, soon control it too. A spokesman for the Taliban, a guy named Suhail Shaheen, he discussed this current situation in the capital city, and we hear all about it every day ad nauseum all day long. Thousands are attempting to get to the airport to avoid being under Taliban rule. With the UK's, Sky News denying that the crowds feared for their safety under the radical Islamic terrorist group. The desperation to flee Taliban rule has prompted a bunch of deaths in and around the airport resulting from stampedes. There was even a little girl that was stampeded, crushed to death this past weekend. Horrible, horrible situation. Eyewitnesses have also reported a bunch of violence against civilians by these Taliban thugs outside the airport. And though the Pentagon said again and again, Joe Biden said again and again last week, no Americans having problems getting out. And the Pentagon, not the president, but the Pentagon admitted, the Secretary of Defense admitted that there were some Americans who were being beaten by the Taliban trying to get to the airport. Shaheen appeared to use an unsubstantiated claim that the Kabul airport chaos did not result from any fear of the Taliban to support the Taliban's resistance to foreign forces staying in the country to help civilians flee. That August 31 deadline, Shaheen said, is a red line. 
He didn't come out and say what's going to happen, but if the U.S. is still there on the 1st of September, just looking at the way the Taliban operates, folks, it ain't going to be good for any American that's still in country. And then, every day, we hear from the Pentagon. We hear from the Secretary of Defense. We hear from the National Security Advisor. uh, We hear from the Secretary of State. We hear from the President. Everything's cool. Everything's cool. Everybody likes us. And we're working with them. We trust We trust the Taliban. Uh, You remember that old story of that rock climber and that rattlesnake curled up in the corner that needed a ride to the top or he was going to die. Rock climber didn't want to carry him. And the snake talked him into it. And sure enough, when they got right up to the top, the snake bit him on the face. They both began to fall. And the rock climber said, Why did you bite me? You promised you wouldn't bite me, and now we're both going to die. And the snake said, you knew I was a snake when you picked me up. Joe Biden trusts the Taliban. Wow. So all of the entrance gates to the Kabul airport were closed Saturday morning because of a new dangerous situation, according to the New York Times adding that the U.S. Embassy in Kabul is advising evacuees not to even try to get to the airport because of what they called, this is a quote, security threats. Because of potential security threats outside the gates at the Kabul airport, we are advising U.S. citizens to avoid traveling to the airport and to avoid airport gates at this time unless you receive individual instructions from a U.S. government representative to do so. That would make me feel warm and fuzzy because they're hearing and watching on TV and getting calls from friends and neighbors and relatives from the U.S. that are watching on TV over here. And they're telling everybody, we can't get them to the airport, can't guarantee their safety. And then they're being told to stay and wait for the Americans to contact them to talk to them about getting to the airport. They're seeing people drug out of apartments, pulled out on the streets, some burned to death, some hung, some just simply shot, beaten, and Americans are being beaten over there. And guess what they're doing now? They're confiscating. The Taliban is confiscating U.S. passports. Now, this isn't coming from some conservative news outlet. This is from the New York Times. I got to the gates and was about to show my passport, but the Taliban got it. And this man said, you're not allowed to go through and wouldn't give it back. I was lucky a U.S. Marine was right there and forced him to give me my passport back. A former Navy SEAL, Ephraim Mattis, who works to evacuate people on the ground, confirmed that report. U.S. passports, driver's licenses, they are confiscating those pieces of documentation from American citizens, he said. They lose proof of who they are. And this has happened on multiple occasions in multiple places. And this is all, every bit of this is at Joe Biden's feet. Every bit of it, folks. There is nobody else. Nobody else. He said it himself. The buck stops with me. I'm the one that makes these decisions. And even yesterday, 
He was in front of a camera in the White House, made a statement saying, and I'm paraphrasing, every decision I've made is the right one. History's going to be in my favor. And our allies, oh my gosh, they're in love with me. Every one of them I talk to, they're just, and he is void of understanding or acceptance of what facts really say. Every foreign leader, every one of them has come out dramatically screaming and hollering against what Joe Biden is doing. Meanwhile, all of these planes that are coming out of Kabul with all these people, and they tell us every day, oh, we got 17,000 now, we got 20,000 now. Hardly any of those people are Americans. Do you ever watch Chris Wallace on Fox News, his Sunday show? I got to be honest with you. Ten years ago, six years ago, I thought, to be honest with you, I thought he was the greatest kind of reporter doing that that had ever been. He was kind of like uh, a newer version of his of his dad, Mike Wallace, that was on the original 60 Minutes for years. And, uh, I mean, really, very serious, go get them, asking the tough questions, getting the tough answers. But during the early part of the Trump administration, Chris Wallace made a hard left turn. He could not stand Donald Trump. And his reporting began to reflect that. He would say some pretty nasty things that I would expect from people over at CNN and MSNBC, but not from Fox News. Anyway, Chris Wallace had Secretary Antony Blinken. Antony, not Anthony. A-N-T-O-N-Y, the Secretary of State on yesterday. And Chris actually got a little confrontational with the Secretary. Here's just one little snippet of how that conversation went. Here's another statement that the President made that was flat wrong. Take a look. I have seen no question of our credibility from our allies around the world. I've got the exact opposite thing is we're acting with dispatch. We're acting committing to what we said we would do. But Armin Laschet, the likely successor to German Chancellor Merkel, said this is the biggest debacle that NATO has seen since its foundation. And here is the chairman of the British Parliament's Foreign Affairs Committee. To see their commander in chief call into question the courage of men I fought with, to claim that they ran, it's shameful. Those who have never fought for the colors they fly should be careful about criticizing those who have. Mr. Secretary, does the president not know what's going on? This is an incredibly emotional time uh, for for many of us, uh, and including allies and partners who've been shoulder to shoulder with us in Afghanistan for 20 years uh, at high cost to themselves as well as to us. They stood with us after 9-11 invoked Article 5 of NATO for the first time, an attack on one is an attack on all, and we've been there together. But I've got to tell you this, Chris, from the get-go, I've spent more time with our NATO partners in Brussels, virtually, uh, from before the president made his decision, to when he made his decision, to every time since. We've been working very, very closely together. We've gotten the G7 together, NATO together, the UN Security Council together. We had 113 countries, thanks to our diplomacy, uh, put out a, a clear understanding uh, of the Taliban's requirements to let people sir, leave sir, the country. Sir, respectfully, that, that, look, I'm not, I'm not questioning whether or not the allies have a right to complain. I'm not questioning whether or not 
not al-Qaeda has a presence. The president said al-Qaeda is gone. It's not gone. The president said he's not heard any criticism from the allies. There's been a lot of criticism from the allies. Words matter, and the words of the president matter most. Never got a straight answer out of the secretary, did Chris Wallace. You could hear the frustration in Wallace's voice because Chris asked him a point-blank question, and Blinken just tap danced around it. He never even answered the question. Uh, oh, I, I, you know, I've been with our NATO partners, our allies since the very beginning, and you know, we made all these plans together, and things things are really going away. Never responded to Wallace's question, and the question was about Joe Biden's lies. You can say they're misrepresentations if you'd like, but again and again and again, he lies about it. I don't know of a single world leader that has come out and said anything positive about what is going on in Afghanistan today. In reality, folks, listen closely to what I'm about to tell you. Our foreign partners, I guarantee you many of them, if they haven't already, they're about to become our former partners regarding world foreign policy decisions and things. They have always looked to us for leadership and guidance. They've always looked to us for ideas and suggestions in foreign policy matters, especially serious ones. They pretty much, in large part, always follow our lead. That ain't happening right now, and I doubt as long as this guy's in the White House and as long as Democrats that are like-minded with Joe Biden are in power in our government, there's going to be very little of quote-unquote partnership with these great nations. Who are you talking about? Dan, Germany. The United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, even countries like India, not so political in many, many ways, but always looking to us. And what about our Middle Eastern partners that we've stood side by side with them? And maybe we have differences, and certainly we do. I mean, we cannot. It is unrealistic. We've seen it happen before. We can no longer expect other countries' leaders to accept our way of thinking and our way of governing as the only way and expect them to convert their countries to our ideals, especially when they look at what's happening right now. I mean, if I ask you today, you tell me point blank, exactly, exactly, verbatim, what is the Biden administration's policy for anything to do with any other country? Tell me, what is it? Give me one. You can't do it. Nobody can absolutely say this guy thinks absolutely this way, with one exception. His son, Hunter, is the smartest man Joe Biden has ever known. His words, not mine. And he apparently really believes that. I know he's a son. I have a son. I love my son beyond. My son is far from perfect. My son's dad is far from perfect. But we love each other beyond. There's a difference in love and respect. Love doesn't mean you're blind. Love means when you have love for somebody, you work with them through whatever issues that they have, but you don't just automatically give them carte blanche and a free pass for everything that they do that's wrong. 
And you certainly don't lie about stuff if you're a person in leadership, which Joe Biden is, by the way. And that may be the scariest part of this entire conversation. Well, you do know we have a vice president. Do you remember our vice president's name? Kamala Harris. Former prosecutor in California. Former attorney general in California. Former U.S. senator from California. Now, Vice President Kamala Harris. And she's right in the middle of the thick of things of everything going on. She picked up the mantle on this COVID-19 pandemic thing. She was the marshal over everything happening down at our southern border to make sure the rule of law was followed. You know that law thing that she swore an oath to when she became a lawyer, yet alone a U.S. senator, yet alone the attorney general of the United States, but yet she and Joe and everybody else in their administration trample all over the rule of law. Forget about laws. We used to be a nation of laws. We are no longer. We're a nation of Democrat Party far-left policies. That's who we are. And Kamala, Joe, he struggled on whether or not to go to Delaware for the weekend. (laughs) That's his big decision this past week. While people are over in Afghanistan, Americans are over in Afghanistan begging, crying, pleading to this man to get them out behind enemy lines or they're going to be killed, and they know that's a fact. And Joe wants to talk about how great a job he's doing. What's the vice president wanting to talk about? Well, she's on a little um, holiday. Now, it's really not a holiday. It's an executive situation. She's in Singapore and Vietnam. Singapore, what a great place to go. I don't, I've never been to Vietnam. Singapore, folks, if you ever get a chance get rid of the pandemic or whatever and you get a chance to go to Southeast Asia and need to go Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia you need to go to Hong Kong and you need to go to Singapore Singapore is one of the most beautiful cities on the planet clean, clean, clean wealthy, very democratic it's a good place with good people she's there right now unless she left over the weekend And, of course, she's keeping her thumb on everything going on around the world. Southern border, Afghanistan, I'm the one. I'm the go-to person. I'm the vice president. I assisted. I was the only one in the room. When the final decision was made, she said, to go into Afghanistan, and I gave the president thumbs up. So she got asked about it. On the tarmac in Singapore, And, of course, every American waits with bated breath to hear the response of the Vice President of the United States. What's your response to a group of Americans? Hold on, hold on. Slow down, everybody. (laughs) Um, I want to talk about two things. First, Afghanistan. We couldn't have a higher priority right now, and in particular, I priority is making sure that we safely evacuate American citizens, Afghans who worked with us, Afghans at risk, including women and children. And that is one of our highest, if not the highest priority right now. Oh my gosh, don't you feel warm and fuzzy? I mean, the cackler, 
the cackler in chief, and she just said, our highest priority, or one of our highest priorities, she corrected herself, is to safely evacuate all these people out of Afghanistan. I I don't want to, I don't want to just impose my thoughts about what she thinks, because I have no idea, but I do know from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and she's got a tremendous history at not telling the truth. And the people of California were the first ones to establish that when she decided to run for national office. They did put her in the U.S. Senate. I don't know why, and I think they questioned their doing that. But when it came time to consider her for president of the United States, do you remember in her campaign? She dropped out. She dropped out before the first primary. You know why? She couldn't even garner the support of the voters in her state, California, to support her. She had no kind of... Um, approval in any polls that were taken. And that's because people in California knew her. They heard what she said, but they watched and saw what she did or didn't do. So we have Joe Biden atop the heat, and then we have Kamala Harris right there ready to take the mantle. If the mantle gets dropped from the chariot, that's a play on the Elijah Elisha thing. <laughs> check, check out check out the book of uh, the book of Judges. You can get that whole story. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. I just had a thought of Kamala standing on the ground in a chariot coming from heaven to pick Joe up, and Joe losing his mantle. It slipped off his shoulders, falling back to earth, and Kamala's running to get put it on. That's scary just to think about it. <laughs> We're just getting started today. We got so much. We got we got some big vaccination news that we want to we want to uh, get to in our second hour. But we have some more cleanup work to do on uh, Afghanistan and some other stuff. We're back in just a moment. Long live the courageous, the tenacious, the ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good, the helping hand, those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram, proven to last. Our next Starbucks customer is Ron. Hello. Strictly espresso, in and out, except during the Christmas season. Uh, I have a list. When he turns into uh, Santa. A venti 
iced white mocha triple shot. He's getting stickers for the new Starbucks Philippines uh, planner. Grande toffee nut latte. It's made by Moleskine? Wow, right? Venti green tea cream frappuccino. Hey, uh, you got all the stickers. No, no, it's for my wife. I I understand. The 2016 Starbucks Philippines planner by Moleskine. Promo runs November 2 to January 7, 2016. For DTI FTEB SBD permit number 10616, series of 2015. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. As politics grow ever more chaotic, remember this truth. When you're taking heavy flack, it usually means you're over the target. Open the Bombay doors. Truthnewsnet.org. Your pilot on this mission, Dan Newman. I don't know about Pete Moss, but um, it almost seems to me like we're not in the bomber. It seems to me right now we're on the ground below the bombers. Others are flying the bombers over us. But it's going to get better, folks. We're going to be fine. God's got this entire thing. This is uh, just on a landscape of, uh, of history for the world. And we're just one little blip on that landscape. I've read the story. I know the ending. I know how this all comes out. We're going to be okay. It may be a tough stretch to get there, but we're going to be fine. You just got to hang in there. You know, we mentioned a little bit ago about the president saying everybody in America, it's it's like from, what's that movie, Mask? The crazy comedian when he was the mask guy and he put that mask on in front of this crowd that he's entertaining and he said, they love me. They really love me. (laughs) It's like Joe's that guy. So if you heard any of his speech stuff that he gave this weekend, he made it very clear that, oh, we're going to take care of our obligations to the American people. We're going to get everybody out. Well, the British are very concerned that our military could leave Afghanistan at any time. Now, when that was brought up during the weekend, Joe said, oh, our troops are going to stay in Afghanistan until all American citizens are out. He didn't say this, but this is the reality. We're not in touch with those people. We don't know how many of them they are. We don't know where they are, and uh, we don't know how we're going to get them out of there. But we're going to get them out of there. We're going to stay till. Oh, by the way, August 31st, we're all going to be kicked out, and anybody that's still there is going to get massacred by the Taliban, but we're going to be okay. That's in the context what he's saying. British security sources. They said they can't predict how long our 6,000 troops would stay on the ground. They think, folks, that we're going to up and run at some point. That in itself should nauseate you. That our number one ally on planet Earth thinks that we're going to bail on them while they're still over there and they're working to get their people out. And by the way, did you know they've rescued a few Americans? The Brits have, as have the French. We're not going out and getting anybody. We did send a couple of Chinooks to get 169 Americans off the roof of a hotel that was less than 200 yards from the airport. I'm glad we did that. But they think we're going to leave. 
According to The Guardian, they also stated that after the Taliban grabbed control of the capital, Britain would not engage with the militant organization directly on security or other issues. They claim the UK, now these are the Whitehall officials, they're security folks, they claim the UK intended to finish its evacuation as soon as possible due to the uncertainty over the Taliban's actions and our position saying there's a realistic view that we want to just go as quickly as we possibly can. In other words, we can't trust our partners, the Americans. We want to get our Brit folks, get them quickly and get out of there before it turns ugly. Now, here's the example of the stuff that we're dealing with every day. And this is from Friday. State Department announced it had flown 13,000 people out of the country since August 14th. Wow, that's a great story. No numbers of how many of the 13,000 people were Americans. Most of them, we do know, almost all of them are Afghani refugees. According to the Brits, this current evacuation from the airport may be on borrowed time. We don't have it in our gift to stay there until absolutely everyone is out. That came from James Heapy, a minister for the UK Armed Forces. The air bridge could last two more days, five more days, ten more days. It keeps absolutely everyone here at the Ministry of Defense awake at night, the reality that we're not going to get everyone out. He's talking about his people. Oh, my gosh. And it just goes on and on and on. Meanwhile, Biden's administration is telling Americans who are stranded over there to pay their own passage, as we told you that, two grand. We're going to get you out of there. But when you get on board, we'll hand you a loan agreement. You got to sign it. Oh, you don't have to write a check right now, but if you and your five family members get out, we take you out, get you back out of the country, not to the U.S. Let me, I'll tell you at the end of this, a specific truthful story that I know for a fact about people trying to get out. Uh, it's going to be two grand. You're going to have to pay at some point. Of course, every Afghani refugee gets free. Not only do they get out of free, we transport them. We're going to bring them to wherever they want to go here in the United States at taxpayer expense. We're going to feed them. We're going to clothe them. We're going to house them. We're going to make sure they have everything they want. But if you're an American, we're not going to get you all the way back to the U.S. That's not part of this thing. We're going to get you out of here, and you're on the hook for two grand. So we have some missionaries that are affiliated with our church. I told you last week how frantic Irvin Rutherford is. It's the head of a big global international missionary operation that headquarters out of our church. They have missionaries all over Southeast Asia, other parts of the world. They have an entire family that was in Kabul. Middle of the night, thank God, Taliban knocked on the door told them when they found out that they were Americans, they told them to stay in their apartment till they got somebody at the front door from the military, the Afghan military. We're going to come get them and put them on a bus to take them to the Kabul airport. That happened. Mother and father and two kids, 
four of them. So they got on planes and went to Germany. They're in Germany right now. Our church is paying for their 2000 a person to get them to Germany and then paying for their plane tickets back to the U.S. because the federal government is washing their hands of any responsibility. Just saying. Afghanis, not so much. It came out over the weekend that French President Emmanuel Macron lectured Joe Biden on the moral responsibility that our nation, in combination with France, owed to the Afghanistani people. This was during a call over the weekend. So, a readout or a script of the call was released by the French and included a pointed note of Macron's message to Biden, quote, Our collective moral responsibility toward the Afghan men and women who need our protection and who shares our values, we cannot abandon them. Now guess what? The script released by the U.S. did not include that verbiage. It noted that both leaders, quote, underscored the importance of continued close coordination among allies and democratic partners on Afghanistan and the importance of humanitarian assistance and support for refugees. Typically, when these call scripts between foreign leaders are issued, they, if they're going to make errors, they'll err on the side of diplomacy. So for Macron to include the pointed message to Biden shows an intentional effort on his part to separate it himself from the American narrative on Afghanistan because President Macron, he watches the news, he listens, and he's seen what Joe Biden has said again and again since this all began, and he knows and sees and knows firsthand how much of the information Biden's putting out to the American people is false. Biden subsequently made phone calls to German Chancellor Angela Merkel, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, Prime Minister Mario Draghi of Italy, and President Pedro Sanchez of Spain. And despite criticism from all around the world for his botched departure from Afghanistan, Biden continues insisting Americans' reputation remains intact. He actually said this, I think that history is going to record this was the logical, rational, and right decisions to make. He said that confidently after giving a speech on the issue and answering three questions from hand-picked reporters at the White House. He also claimed our exit from Afghanistan would always be chaotic. From the beginning, he said, it was always going to be that way. Despite promising in April that it would be, and this is a quote, responsibly, deliberately, and safely, and not hasty. Let me be clear. The evacuation of thousands of people from Kabul is going to be hard and painful no matter when we started, when we began. Now, he claimed and I can't see how this is truthful, but I'm just going to say he may be telling the truth, but he claimed he had not seen any polls that showed the majority of Americans no longer consider him even competent enough to do the job, not what's going on now, but to do the job as president at all. The majority of Americans. He defended 
his decision to leave Afghanistan as basic, his word, basic, repeating a sense of urgency despite obviously failing to prepare for a smooth exit or even a calm exit of any kind. He said, my job is to make judgments. My job is to make judgments nobody else can or will make. I made them. I'm convinced I'm absolutely correct. And again, he repeated again and again and again that his critics just wanted him to stay in Afghanistan longer. Look, at the end of the day, if we didn't leave Afghanistan now, when do we leave? Another 10 years? Another five years? Another year? Great questions. Now, let me tell you this. If you you wonder what goes on in the mind of this president, if you've ever wondered, if you never followed his career, if you never saw any of his very colorful speeches that he made, he screamed and hollered, very good speaker. And when he was in the Senate, folks, he was on the number one committees in every U.S. Senate, chaired the most prominent, most prestigious committees I'll never forget, I really just found out who he was a long time ago when he was chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee and Clarence Thomas came up for confirmation. It was a circus. And Joe Biden, he ran herd over the circus and made some unbelievable stupid statements during those confirmation hearings. Probably the most contentious confirmation hearings, including the ones for our two most recently seated United States Supreme Court justices. But we found some footage, and we stripped the audio off for you. This comes from Vice President Biden under Barack Obama, and it's just from, I think, six years ago. I want you to listen to him. If you wonder what makes him think, and prompts him to do the things that he's doing right now and to not do the things that a lot of people, most people think he should be doing. Listen to his thought process. Now he kind of gets in that whispery mode. So listen closely. If you think of some of President Biden's words make you shake your head now, listen to what he said about America when he was vice president. So you figure out how to live together like we do. You will never 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 make it america's strength ultimately lies in its people there's nothing special about being american none of you can define for me what an american is can't define it based on religion ethnicity race culture yikes so uh joe you want to you want to give the president a lifeline and explain to him what it means to be an american (laughs) Uh, yeah, how to? Uh, who wants to be a millionaire? Part two, right? Uh, lifeline, sure, not a problem. Uh, I, I just tell exactly. my five and seven year old every day when I try to make them appreciate everything that they have is that look, you live in the greatest country in the world, and and that's what it means to be an American that you have freedoms and you have a life here where you could be whatever you want. I know that sounds cliche, but I tell my kids that every day, and I think they're starting to believe it because my daughter just declared to me that she wants to be the first female president of the United States. Sorry, uh, Kamala and my son apparently wants to be an astronaut. But again, when Joe Biden makes statements amazing. like that, it's no wonder. Those are great aspirations. Yeah, amazing, right? 
I think it is. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's it's why, you know, the, uh, one more poll just to repeat from earlier. Rasmussen, fewer than 40 percent of likely voters believe Joe Biden is capable of carrying out the duties of the presidency. And it's because he makes statements like that. I get that was when he was vice president, but he just yeah. does not have a good command of the language and doesn't have the ability to persuade and give you confidence that he's in control of things. And that statement, I know it's from a while ago. That's one example. Yeah, well, it certainly does suggest that he doesn't believe that there's anything exceptional about America. Uh, Lisa, the part of that comment was he was talking about how you can't define Americans by their race, gender or uh, religion. Uh, so why does his administration spend so much time talking about that? Well, because it divides the country. And, and I really think today's political lefts yeah. are Mar Marxist. And I don't believe they I don't think they believe an American exceptionalism. And they want to take take this country down to then rebuild it in one that more reflects their values. And, and if you wanted to destroy a country from within, would you do anything differently than Joe Biden has done over the past few months, pitting Americans to, to, or against each other with things like critical race theory, open borders, authoritarianism through things like vaccine passports uh, as well, wanting to tear down our history, tear down statues, uh, get rid of books, ban certain speech. I mean, all of these actions are actions uh, that, that really go against, you know, are antithetical to what our country was founded upon. And, and I'm glad Joe is teaching his kids to love America. But unfortunately, we have an increasing number of Americans who look at the flag and think it's, think it's a racist symbol. And how survivable yeah, exactly. is a country, how sustainable is a country when you have a growing percentage of its population that believes that? You know, Aisha, um, uh, polling right now shows uh, that uh, Joe Biden is a clear 35 points underwater uh, when it comes to Afghanistan, uh, foreign policy being the area of his supposed expertise. Uh, do you foresee this as being a problem uh, for, for other Democrats beyond just Joe Biden? Well, that's exactly what I was going to point out is this this isn't just a President Biden optics situation, a problem right now. This is definitely a problem for the Democrats. Look, the House is heading back to the Hill this week. Uh, they were probably expecting to head back on a high. They were going to push forward on that in a bipartisan infrastructure bill. And now they're heading back into a nightmare committee hearings. And you better believe that they're getting phone calls and emails and letters from their constituents, Afghan families, American families, military families, wanting help trying to evacuate people on the ground. So it's not just a President Biden uh, problem. It is a Democrat problem. So we'll have to see how they handle it when they come back to the Capitol. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered who these fighters are? I mean, come on now. You don't wake up. You don't, you don't wake up at six or seven years old in Afghanistan or in Iraq or Syria. You don't wake up and say, hey, dad, when I grow up, I want to be an Islamic terrorist and I want to cut off people who aren't Muslims. I, I want to cut off their heads and burn them and kill those people. I don't, I, I, I want to do that. That's one. that doesn't happen. What happens folks, it comes from a lifetime of the instilling in young Muslim men, hatred, hatred for the United States of America. Now follow my reasoning here. Look back to inside our own country. Look back at what they just mentioned. We have people in the United States, and not just a handful, we have a whole lot of people in the United States that they look at the American flag as a symbol of white supremacy. I gotta be honest with you, I don't even I don't even get the white supremacy debate. I am a white guy, I'm an old white guy, 
I was born in the South. I grew up in the South. I live in the South. I've never met a white supremacist that I met knowingly. Racism has no skin color. Racism has no skin color. And the fact that there are people in leadership in our American government that paint that to be a fact when it's not, that is the epitome of racism. Nobody has got the unilateral permission or the responsibility or even been uh, relegated to be a person or the people who determine who is racist and who is not. But the fact that there's a huge segment of the American population that not only allows that to happen, a group of people that just cede the right to make that determination to somebody who says, I'm the one. Oh, okay, here, take it. You just tell me who's racist and who isn't. And then the consensus across that level is, of course, you know, if your skin color's white, you're automatically a racist, you're a white supremacist. We live in that kind of world. And there are millions of people that have picked that up. And they make life-changing decisions for themselves and other people who interact with them for decades while they're alive. And that's how many of these terrorists become terrorists. Now, let me give you a number that will shock you. In the aftermath of 9-11, did you know that U.S. intelligence revealed hundreds of people that were taken captive in battle, in um, attacks, other ways, over 200 people were arrested as terrorists. Many fingers were pointing at many of them for being involved in those 9-11 attacks and other kind of terrorist acts that have happened around the world. But these specifically were those that were involved in issues here in the United States. Did you know that of that roughly 250 to 300 people, 229 of them were deemed to have rehabilitated 229 specifically. They had been sent to Guantanamo Bay down in Cuba. And because we had an agreement in the Obama administration that uh, we would eventually close our only facility in Cuba, Guantanamo Bay, Barack Obama and Joe Biden released 229 of those. Now, the number they released is more than that, but listen to this. This will peel your hair. The reason I came up with 229 plus, 229 of them have been confirmed, those Gitmo detainees that were deemed to be rehabilitated and were released on the Obama-Biden watch. 229 of them have returned to terrorism And many of them have been known to attack and some kill Americans. Those numbers are from the Biden 
administration's intelligence community. Makes you think, doesn't it? It makes you wonder. It also gives you some heartburn when you think. Now, this is the part that needs to be addressed probably more than anything. We're bringing thousands of Afghani refugees who we don't know anything about. We don't even know who they are. They'll tell us who they are. But we don't know anything about them. We're putting them on planes. We're flying them pointedly all the way to the U.S. Plane loads of Afghanis over the weekend showed up, refugees. We don't have any clue who they are. And we don't have any idea who among them number as terrorists. Let's go to our other humanitarian crisis zone, our southern border. We have found of those that have come in illegally that have been accosted and taken into custody, we found people from over 90 different countries numbering among them. We have no idea how many of them are criminals, how many are terrorists, and we have no way of tracking their background because we have no planning. I think now you understand why Afghanistan is happening. The chaos, the lack of planning, no concept of how or what to do. It's the same way at the southern border during the Biden administration. No plan, no structure, no organization, no authority with responsibility. There's lots of authority, but there's no accountability, no responsibility for decisions that are made. And you know who's in the crosshairs of whatever the element number is and those people coming across the southern border and those people that are flying across the Atlantic that we are welcoming, the Biden administration is welcoming into our country. We have no idea how many of those use this thought process. Convert the infidel infidel to Islam or kill the infidel. And that's just one little example. There are a whole lot of terrorists on earth that aren't Muslim. But that's the one that's front and center right now for us to think about. Back after this short pause. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle Snuggle. I am so out of here. Wait. Come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. Hi, Tom Bodette. Of all the things invented in 1962, some have faded away, like cassette tapes, and others are still very much with us, like lava lamps and Motel 6. Yep, Motel 6 is celebrating 50 years of giving travelers a good night's rest and saving you more for what you travel for. But we're just getting started. In fact, the longer you watch us, the better we get. Kind of like a lava lamp. Trippy. 
I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6. 50 years and the light's still on. Des Moines HelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement park. Park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. Yeah, when things get testy, a little good music always calms you down a bit, doesn't it? That's an old Doobie Brothers song. Listen to the music. Well, 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 well. We're going to segue right into the latest, greatest news about COVID-19, our vaccines, what's going on around the world, trying to dig out some truth. You're going to hear from that doctor, uh, that doctor that is an Oxford alum, Dr. Sean Brooks, as he speaks to a school board about vaccination stuff. Vaccine, vaccination mandates, boy, those are front and center right now. And before I get into what happened yesterday, Senator Ron Johnson had a meeting at his, uh, at his office in D.C. Before we get into that, let me ask you a question. There are a lot of places that aren't requiring vaccines for employment but there are far more that are finding out they're going to do it. And it's really every day we, we, we hear the screw tightening down and more and more operations, more and more companies are saying, you're going to work here, you're going to be vaccinated. Top seven places in America that don't require a vaccination to be employed. Top seven. And I think each of these will blow your mind. Number one, the White House, you don't have to be vaccinated. Number two, the Centers for Disease Control, Fauci's hangout. Number three, the Federal Drug Administration. Number four, the World Health Organization, Division of the United Nations. Number five, Pfizer, number six, Moderna, number seven, Johnson and Johnson. <laughs> I bet you didn't you didn't have one name of one of those entities when I said the top seven who don't require vaccinations. To me, what does that say? It's just one more confirmation that this is not about medical. This is about political. I think it's always been about political. When in just total boldness, in total disregard for things that have been said, 
and things that have been forced down the throats of American people, when you see political pundits in mass ignoring the same things they push downstream to you and I. I'm talking about these Democrats in Congress that you got to wear a mask, you got to social distance, and then you see them at the same time. They're going places they tell us not to go. I, I mean, in total abandonment of any potential health risk for themselves or others for what they do, they don't wear masks. And it makes front page news, but nobody does anything about it. So Senator Ron Johnson, he's a Republican in Wisconsin, he sent a letter to Dr. Francis Collins, who's director of the NIH, National Institutes of Health, also to Dr. Rochelle Walensky, director of the CDC, and Dr. Janet Woodcock, who is acting commissioner of the FDA. And the purpose of the letter was the FDA put it out that they're not even going to have a formal advisory committee meeting to discuss Pfizer's application for full approval of their COVID vaccine. And Senator Johnson said this in the letter, I see no need to rush the FDA approval process for any of the three COVID-19 vaccines. Expediting the process appears to serve only the political purpose of imposing and enforcing vaccine mandates. The observational phases of FDA approval take time, he said, because there's no substitute for time and detecting and determining possible long-term harm. Additionally, we're already experiencing a severe healthcare worker shortage. Frontline doctors and nurses that are contacting me are expressing grave concerns about vaccine mandates, which will only exacerbate the shortage. Johnson continued, over the last year and a half, the decisions of federal health agencies have dramatically impacted the lives of all Americans. The impact of these decisions has been felt in America's treatment options, employment, schools, housing, travel, and in countless other ways. The human toll of the social restrictions and economic devastation is incalculable. Unfortunately, your federal health agencies have not been transparent with the American people about how these life-altering decisions have been made or what science and data they are based upon. I urge you to provide the information I've requested in my previous letters and to reconsider your decision not to assemble a public meeting prior to the granting of any final COVID-19 vaccine approval. I mean, that just makes sense to me. And I read the entire letter, and it's full of facts and numbers that just belie the FDA doing it. And then this morning, they didn't have that public meeting. It's not required, but it's always pretty much happened when something new, especially something new in healthcare and medicine this big, and especially something that involves tens of billions of American taxpayer dollars because you haven't paid for a vaccine. No Americans paid for a vaccine directly. We pay for it through our tax checks that we send to the IRS. That's going on now. I told you about this doctor. And uh, this is probably one of the most, if not the most shocking thing that I have heard personally from a medical professional who was in the know. You hear lots of allegations made, lots of stories told. But Dr. Sean Brooks, I'd tell you a little bit more about him, but he's going to tell you a little bit about it at the beginning of this. 
Here he was last week in front of an Ohio school board meeting, Dr. Sean Brooks. My name's Dr. Sean Brooks, PhD, um, Oxford. I have 48 publications, including 23 books. I've studied health medicine, anatomy, and physiology for approximately 21 years. Dr. Robert Malone, who created the messenger RNA vaccine, has said no one should ever take these jabs ever under any circumstance whatsoever. He created it, and he says don't ever do it. So let me explain what's going to happen to the people who have taken it. Excuse me. The people who have taken it are going to die in the next six months to three to five years for three reasons. Number one, you've dramatically decreased your own immune system by 35%. The first jab did it by at least 15. The second did it by 35 now. If you take any booster shot, you will die. That's it. You take a flu shot in the future, you will die. The second reason, antibody-dependent enhancement. Antibody-dependent enhancement is what is happening with these jabs with everybody who has taken them. Unless, of course, you've taken a placebo. But there's no way that you would know that. So given that fact, antibody-dependent enhancement tricks the entire body into believing that the cell that's eating the pathogen is eating it when it isn't. It ends up leading to what's called a cytokine storm, which causes organ failure. That will cause your death, and there's no stopping that. No amount of drugs will stop that. The third thing, blood clotting. Everyone who has taken the jabs is blood clotting. If you don't believe me, there's a way you can find out. Take what's called a D-dimer test. What that does is that detects blood clotting at the microscopic level. They're cutting full blood clots out of people right now. As I'm talking to you, millions have died from the jabs. In your last meeting, you advocated for people to take the jabs potentially in the future, along with wearing masks. And I heard parents say the same thing. So to the parents who are actually considering jabbing their own children, you're going to sterilize them permanently. People who have taken the jabs are sterilized. 80% of women who have been jabbed have lost their children in the first trimester. You can't have kids. You've also injected yourself with the equivalent of HIV. You can now no longer breastfeed, donate blood, donate organs, donate blood plasma, nor bone marrow. If you don't believe me, try to donate blood and blood plasma and find out what happens. You will be denied unless, of course, you live in California, in which case they're allowing people to donate toxic blood with spike proteins in it. The jabs create spike proteins. They're in the jabs themselves, and they create it by snapping your RNA in half. You are no longer a human anymore. You are something else, and you are susceptible to countless diseases. Now, here's what's going to happen in the future very quickly. You have 15 seconds. Great. I don't know what percentage of your staff has taken the jabs, but your school is going to close. You will not stay open. You will close because they will fall ill and they will die. That will happen in all of your buildings. It will have. It's already happening. All right, thank you, sir. I, I bet it is. Thanks. It's already happening. Sure. Good luck. Because nothing can stop what's thank coming. You, sir. Dr. Sean Brooks on the horrors of vaccinations. Some of what he had said, I'd heard in part from many different sources, but never from any sources reliable as is Dr. Brooks. And in the context of what he said, you heard Dr. Richard Fleming here. He's been on this show twice in the last 60 days. 
said in part some of the exact same things that Dr. Brooks had to say. And remember who Dr. Fleming is. When you when you read or you hear about a medicine and they say it's been peer-reviewed, these are experts to which anytime a new medicine is coming out or a new medical procedure before the FDA approves it, they have a list of people that are specialists in these areas that they send this all to and they write back and go into deep detail with the FDA about their findings and their thoughts about what's presented to them before the FDA accepts or approves any of these medicines or these procedures. Dr. Fleming is number one on that peer review list. He's been on this show twice. He's become a good friend to this show. He said some of these exact same things in his two appearances here. You can go back and by the way, for those of you that are just tuning in anew or maybe you haven't been here in a while, all of these shows are broadcast in Apple Podcast and Spotify Podcast. If you've got a Spotify account, if you've got an Apple iTunes account, which we all do, uh, you can go to either one of them. Minutes after each show is finished, Apple and Spotify upload them to their podcast division on their websites. You can go grab them there. Go back and listen to Dr. Fleming. Go back and listen to, I believe, it, yes, it was last uh, Tuesday, our show when we had Jane on. That's not her name. But she came on and told us about her daughter who is over emergency room of a large California hospital. And her daughter is scared to death because they are requiring their employees to be vaccinated. Now, in the context of what's going on, some of what you just heard Dr. Brooks talk about, they're losing nurses left and right. Every hospital in California is, as a matter of fact, across the nation. It's becoming rampant. My son is an executive at a hospital, a large hospital in Dallas-Fort Worth. They can't get nurses there. And if you can't get nurses, folks, here's what's happening in the states like Florida and Texas where you hear the mainstream media as have been indicated and given information from the Biden administration and the CDC about hospitals in this rush. Hospitals are overflowing with COVID patients and there are 99% unvaccinated people. Those numbers aren't accurate, folks. Why aren't they accurate? Here's what they don't tell you. Most hospitals around the nation are losing nurses who are not going to get vaccinated except vaccines. Frontline workers in large, more than half of our frontline workers across the nation are refusing vaccinations. Why is that? They know what happens. They watch it. They see it. They see these patients coming through the doors of the emergency room. Many things that Dr. Brooks just mentioned are playing out in their emergency rooms, in their hospitals, their ICUs. And so Jane's daughter says that their hospital can't even get nurses. So when you can't staff a floor, as an example, in a hospital, you can't open that floor. If you don't have enough nurses to do it, by law, you have to close that floor down. So when you report your occupancy level to your state authorities, which every hospital has to do every day, and you give your percentages of occupancy, it's based on what you have open, not what you have that include the unstaffed beds in ICU rooms. 
So when a media outlet or political power junkies are trying to portray this is a really bad thing, we've got this pandemic, and they tell us more kids in the ER than ever in ICU, you know what they're not telling us? What the occupancy is in that hospital and what that occupancy rate is in ICU. And you know what else they're not telling you? How many deaths? We don't get that report anymore. We hear about the number of cases going through the roof, going through the roof. But you don't hear the numbers anymore coming out in mainstream media about the death count. To get numbers like that, we have to dig ad nauseum into the CDC's own numbers. And then, even when we get them, we know for a fact they're not going to be truthful. Because they've gone out from the very beginning of this pandemic, and the CDC has instructed coroners across the nation, given these kind of instructions, and we've actually presented on air and in writing on the website, truthnewsnet.org, the letters that went out and the instructions that went out from the CDC. If a patient dies, even if they haven't been tested and confirmed positive for COVID-19, if they have any respiratory condition on the death certificate, you do not have to list COVID-19 as the single cause of death, but always enter COVID-19 on the death certificate as being at least partially responsible, even when the patient has not been tested. I saw a number this weekend that just blew my mind. Let me, let me, it, it, it was so shocking. I took a picture of it and I wanted to bring it to you. Let me find it real quick. Oh, from the CDC website. Listen to this. In the 2021 flu season, 2021 flu season, which is the same time every year in the fall, last year there were 1,822 confirmed flu cases nationally. And what that means is they were very serious cases. Some of these 1,822 passed away. I don't have that number. 2021, that's this year. Do you know how many there were last year? 2019 and 2020 in the flu season? 38 million. Now, why is that? Again, these are the numbers. I'm looking at it. It was posted last year, 38 million flu cases. This year, so far, 1,822. That's not science, folks. That's politics. The numbers to try to demean the states of Texas and Florida, governed by Republican legislatures and Republican governors, men and women that stand up and do what's right for their people in their states rather than what's right for the power brokers coming out of Washington, D.C. Entities like the CDC, Dr. Anthony Fauci, and like the FDA, who today, 
you, you know, with all of the stuff coming out about the problem that happens with the Pfizer vaccinations, and we keep up with what the CDC themselves actually publish as far as adverse reactions to all of the vaccinations, all of them, including deaths. We publish those here. And with the numbers that we see, and and I'll, I just pulled up a text from our expert that brings us these numbers all the time. Let me go to the latest that I got, scrolling down at the bottom. And this was uh, as of 7-30-21. Deaths from Pfizer vaccinations since January 1st that have been reported to the CDC, Pfizer alone, 8,511. 8,511 deaths to people that are directly, these deaths are directly related to Pfizer vaccinations. And since this VAERS, the virus adverse reaction to vaccinations, since this started being kept 1991 by the CDC, and these reports comes from only the reports that are sent to the CDC. So there are 10 times, 50, 100 times more, and it's been that way throughout time. But the biggest number of annual deaths to all vaccinations ever reported, all of them added together since 1991 through the end of last year, 1,911 total have died. Since January this year, Pfizer vaccines 8,511 people have died as a direct result of Pfizer vaccine adverse reactions. Any other aspect, any other sector of our society, if something like this was going on, our federal government would be all over it. They would be shutting these medical companies down, preventing vaccines from even being kept in stock to potentially give to people. Our government doesn't do that. Our FDA, Federal Drug Administration, they formally approved Pfizer's vaccine. And in doing so, folks, they turned their backs on over 8,500 people that have died this year because of the Pfizer vaccine. Now process, process that. Find a way, some way to reconcile that in your mind. I got to be honest with you. I can't. I'm hung right there. Our government knows. Our government reports, not some hack doctors, not somebody that's politically trying to make a statement or whatever. This comes from the Centers for Disease Control website. The number, now that was 730. We're about to finish the month of August. I guarantee you the number is over 10,000 reported Pfizer vaccine deaths. And then the real number of deaths that have come from the vaccines, the CDC says, and you can get it from their website. They tell you this is not the actual number. The number is more than those that are reported. 
These are just the ones that have been reported to the CDC. 8,511 through July the 30th. I guarantee you, folks, there are 100,000 Americans that have died from adverse reactions to Pfizer's vaccine since January 1. Prove me wrong. Anybody. 866-37-TRUTH. 866-378-7884. You're at a restaurant just after a meal. The bill comes. Sir, here's your bill. Oh my gosh, it's a whopping amount. (gasps) You pass it on to the next person. He. He passes it on. He. And on. We. Nobody likes unpleasant surprises. Well, why should you? With the new Hutt's Delight Meals, you won't get any surprises in your bill. Just pure value. Enjoy your favorites every day, from pizzas, pastas, to sides and drinks. From as low as 14 ringgit per person. Available for dine-in only. Shopping H&M. Be stylish. Be trendy. With women's clothes and accessories at the best quality and the best prices since 1947. Come to H&M and shop for women's clothing and accessories inspired by the latest fashion trends. Here at H&M, the master of cheap fashion, clothes cost the average price of $21.40. Wow, that's so cheap and affordable. I know, right? H&M offers fashion and quality clothing at an affordable price. So, what are you waiting for? Come shop at H&M today. Hashtag hot and modern. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. In the clown car of the deep state... You will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand, is Dan Newman. Yeah, we're going after with that blaster. We're going after every lie that we can get our arms around and figure out what it is. I, I, I'm, I, sometimes I'm lost for words, folks. Um, I just can't imagine a scenario where so many people in our government and outside our government, in the media. Americans have just bought into this thing. If you don't take a vaccination, you're going to die. You're going to die. And they ignore the facts that are around us. They ignored the experts from all across the world that keep coming out with more and more and more detail and evidence. I mean, real facts, laboratory tested and proven Real test. I'm not talking about the kind that Fauci lorded over to get Moderna's vaccine, which he has a huge financial stake in, to get it out. And you do understand, these drug lords, and I'm talking about the legal ones, the heads of Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca, these major companies, they are making tens of billions of dollars. They're not giving these vaccinations away. Somebody's buying them, and you know who's buying them here? The United States government. You and I are buying them. You look at 
Look at the parent company's publicly available financial situations and their financial sheets that have to be filed and released publicly one time a year. Look at them. And you know what you'll see? Last year, they made tens of billions of dollars, each of them. Compare them, their profits to the uh, previous years. They have reasons to do this. So what does that mean? You say, Dan, the FDA, that's a government agency. They're not in the tank. They're not involved with these drug companies. Yeah, right. Yeah. All these people that serve on the FDA, they're all appointed. Many of them come from the pharmaceutical industry, folks. They all have a vested interest of some kind. I wonder, here's what I wonder. I wonder if we went through the offices of all of these people that are at the top. I'm talking about CEOs, presidents, vice presidents of these pharma companies. If we went through there and forced them to take lie detector tests, how many of them have actually received a vaccination for COVID-19? I wonder what we would find. I would bet you, I would bet you, there would be a few that had gotten the jab. Um, but I can tell you this. Most of them have not. Or if they have, it's been for show. And if there was a vaccination that was actually televised, recorded, or whatever, um, it would be a placebo. No sane person in the medical profession. And I, let me rephrase that. That's not accurate. I can't. I can't say that. It is unconscionable to me to believe that anybody that is educated, ethical, morally in the right spot in healthcare, treating other people that have taken that Hippocratic oath that they would do no harm to anybody, knowingly no harm to anybody, would only be doing things and involved in things, medications and procedures to help people who are in need medically. And I'm paraphrasing the Hippocratic Oath, you know that. I can't imagine a single person like that would try to talk anybody in their world into taking one of these vaccinations. I just can't see it happening. I'm sure it does. Follow the money, folks. It's all about money. Somewhere in this whole thing, there's money involved. So, what does all this mean? Where do we go from here? Over the weekend, a guy named Victor Dominello, he is the New South Wales Minister for Customer Services, in the middle of a press conference, he had just gotten the AstraZeneca vaccination. His face began to droop on one side, commonly in many cases called Bell's palsy. His happened live on national television right after he took a vaccination. You just don't know, folks. 
all of this tension with nearly 60% of the eligible U.S. population fully vaccinated now, almost all of the nation's blood supply is now coming from donors who have been inoculated. Now think about that. If you need blood, now typically when you need blood in a surgery, it's you're in a bad, bad place. And so they call blood banks at the hospital or whatever, and they bring up blood that has come in. You have no idea who donated that blood. And think about it. 60% of our population now fully vaccinated. That means that most of the blood supply in the nation is coming from those who have been vaccinated. So because of that, that's led some patients who are skeptical of the shots. When they have to get a transfusion, they're demanding transfusions only from unvaccinated people. An option that blood centers insist is neither medically sound nor operationally feasible. You be, I bet you never thought about this. Dr. Julie Katz-Karp, who directs the blood bank and transfusion medicine program at Thomas Jefferson University Hospitals in Philly, said, we are definitely aware of patients who have refused blood products from vaccinated donors. A spokesperson for the American Red Cross said, Emily Osman is her name, said her organization has fielded questions from clients worried that vaccinated blood is tainted, capable of transmitting components from the COVID vaccines. Red Cross officials says they've had to reassure clients that a COVID vaccine, which is injected into muscle or the layer of skin below, doesn't circulate in the blood. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. How does your body move anything around within it? Through the blood system. Jesse Merrill is the Red Cross Director of Biomedical Communications said this, while the antibodies that are produced by the stimulated immune system in response to vaccination are found throughout the bloodstream, the actual vaccine components are not. So far, Demands for this blood thing, and only coming from unvaccinated people, it's been rare. Dr. Lewis Katz, Chief Medical Officer for Impact Life, which is an Iowa-based blood center, said he's heard from a a handful of patients asking for blood from unvaccinated donors. And the resounding answer from centers in hospitals, he added, has been no. I know of no one who has acceded to such a request, which would be an operational can of worms for a medically unjustifiable request. So in practical terms, blood centers only have limited access to donated blood that has not in some way been affected by COVID. Based on samples, it's estimated that as much as 60 to 70% of the blood currently being donated is coming from vaccinated donors. Overall, more than 90% of current donors have either been infected or vaccinated against it. That's according to Michael Bush, director of the Vitalant Research Institute that is monitoring antibody levels and samples from the U.S. blood supply. Less than 10% of the blood we collect does not have antibodies. And of course, this is supposed to make us feel safe because the Food and Drug Administration has determined there's no safety risk 
So there's no reason to label the units of blood, whether they come from vaccinated or unvaccinated. The FDA does not yet recommend routine screening of blood donors for COVID. Respiratory viruses in general aren't known to spread by blood transfusion, and worldwide there have been no reported cases of SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes a disease being transmitted via the blood. All donors are supposed to be healthy when they give blood and answer basic questions. Collected units of blood are tested for transmissible infectious diseases before they're distributed to hospitals. But that still hasn't quelled concerns for some people skeptical of COVID vaccines. In Bedford, Texas, suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth, the father of a boy scheduled for surgery asked that his son get blood exclusively from unvaccinated donors. Separately, a young mother fretted about transfusions from vaccinated donors to her newborn baby. This is something we haven't heard about or we probably haven't thought about. But I mean, if, if you've had HIV, you can't give blood. As you heard doctor, the doctor uh, in that audio that we played a little bit earlier, you heard him say they're beginning to not accept your blood if you have been vaccinated. Dr. Sean Brooks Here's the thing, folks. Let me just say this. There's still a bunch out there that we don't know about. Just be careful. Just be careful. I would make this suggestion for you. Most of the time when you have a surgery that requires blood transfusion, it's usually a scheduled surgery. It's not an emergency surgery. I would suggest if you get in that situation before you actually have that surgery, get your doctor to bring in people, maybe family members, friends of yours that haven't been vaccinated. If you're, if you're in this place in your mindset and you're concerned about it, get people to donate blood that you know and to be kept and held specifically by your personal physician at their facilities to be used when you have that surgery. I'm just saying, does that mean I'm a conspiracy theorist or if I'm a crazy or driven by fear? No, folks, it's not. What kind of harm could that do? Think about it. What kind of harm could it do? Although they may tell you we know factually, when it comes to this thing, folks, there are people that know everything about it, but they are, I would say their number is, If it's not in single digits, it's in double digits. There aren't a lot of people that know all about it, even though they tell us there are. Let's let's just switch gears. For the last quarter hour of this, let's talk about something fun. (laughs) I don't know if there's any of that going around. Uh, Over the weekend, and I guarantee you hadn't heard this story, They buried it on the weekend, and you'll know why in just a second. Guess what? The FBA found no evidence at this point to suggest that what happened on January 6th in that attack at the Capitol was coordinated by supporters of Donald Trump or some other right-wing group. 95% of these cases, those 400 or so the FBI have arrested, or what they call one-off cases. 
you have maybe 5% of these militia groups that were more closely organized, but there was no grand scheme with Roger Stone and Alex Jones and all of these people to storm the Capitol and take hostages. Reuters is who reported it, and I'm shocked they even put it out there because they're pretty far left themselves. They spoke to four current and former law enforcement officials, a couple of in the FBI, noted that those involved in the far-right groups, such as Proud Boys and Oath Keepers, were intent on entering the Capitol, but the officials who spoke said they, they had or saw no coordinated plans that appeared to be established regarding what they would do once they got in. Of course, the FBI declined to comment. A Democrat congressional source confirmed that senior lawmakers who are aware of the FBI's current findings believe the results so far are reliable. The findings could prove relevant for the House Select Panel that is investigating the circumstances of the January 6th attack in which Trump supporters and others, but they always in the reports just say, Trump supporters stormed the Capitol to stop Congress from certifying President Biden's Electoral College victory in the 2020 election. Now they have raised the number of those people that were arrested. It's up to 570. 40 people are facing conspiracy charges. Ooh, and most of these people, folks, are still in jail. And many of them, no access to their attorneys. They've not been formally charged. They've not been given bail. They're still in jail. Mainstream media? Crickets. Nowhere. Nobody talking about it. And what was all that talk that was on for months and months and months about Capitol Police were slaughtered, Capitol Police were killed? No Capitol Police was killed. None. There was one person killed by gunfire, and I think by now you know who that was, Ashley Babbitt. So, Ashley Babbitt, in the video, I saw it and watched it myself numerous times, that police officer with the Capitol Hill that shot and fatally killed Ashley Babbitt was standing off to her left side behind her, and she was trying to get through a barrier a clear plastic barrier. She wasn't armed. She wasn't hurting anybody. Had done nothing, no kind of violence whatsoever. And you can see this officer pull his gun and shoot her from behind. The bullet, he shot one bullet, hit her on the back left side of her neck and apparently severed an artery and she bled out there on the floor. According to a memo obtained from the Capitol Police, this officer, whose identity still remains shielded, has been formally exonerated for his actions that day. No further action will be taken in this matter, said the commander of the Capitol Police's Office of Personal Responsibility. He was already cleared by the Justice Department back in April. And this latest conclusion from the Capitol Police has brought the case to an end. The Justice Department said there was no convincing proof that the officer's action could lead to criminal prosecution. Now, let me get this straight. They got video. The whole nation saw the video. Saw that she wasn't doing anything. She was. There was no 
imminent harm whatsoever. Under the law, there has to be a person that does shoot or take other violent actions like shooting or firing at someone has got to feel some type of direct imminent threat against them physically. She had her back to this cop. He was standing behind her. The Justice Department, no convincing proof the officer's actions could lead to criminal prosecution. The Supreme Court has interpreted Section 42, a federal criminal civil rights statute, to mean that there was action with a bad purpose in disregard of the law. Evidence that the officer acted out of fear, mistake, panic, misperception, negligence, or even poor judgment cannot establish the high level of intent required under this section. At the time the officer fired a single shot at Ms. Babbitt, the officer did not reasonably believe that it was necessary to do so in self-defense or in defense of the members of Congress and others evacuating the House chamber. That's what the department said in the statement. Ashley Babbitt was an Air Force veteran. She was one of five people killed in the riot, including a Capitol Police officer that wasn't killed but died later. All five of those, excuse me, four of those Capitol Police officers did. The shielding of the shooter's identity has caused some hot debate and speculation among people who wanted justice for her death. A uh, conservative commentator you've seen pretty regularly, Dinesh D'Souza, he alleged the officer was Lieutenant Michael Byrd, a black man in D.C., and On the video, it was an African-American man that shot Ashley Babbitt. We're getting a little closer to the identity of the man who shot her through the neck, killing her, and it's time to reveal his name. According to D'Souza, it's Lieutenant Michael Byrd. I, I think maybe, if not the, this is one of the top two or three horrible things that happened in Washington, D.C. over the last couple of years. Especially in the throes of all of this division and divisiveness that's put down from the top by the Democrat Party, perpetrated by uh, sycophants in the mainstream media that are all in for racist charges and allegations and dividing the nation, pushing Americans further and further and further apart, pushing us away from our love and support for the parts of our nation that have made us what we have been for 260 years and kept us unified, not divided as we are, all of that rolled in. This has got to be one of the most egregious things that's ever happened in the United States. And yet her family members, they have no idea of even who shot her. And it means because of the interpretation of that statute They have no recourse against the government and, of course, against the officer who perpetrated this killing. And by the way, the coroner in Washington, D.C. ruled it a homicide. (laughs) In the world I come from, a homicide is subject, whoever committed it, to criminal prosecution. So did you pay any attention to the big Trump rally down in Florida over the weekend? It was huge. It was massive. And the town it was in, I'd never heard of, Coleman. And I'm a Southerner. I've been through and all over Alabama. I have no clue where Coleman, Alabama is. Anyway, 
Former President Trump was out there, and boy, people just came unglued. I mean, MAGA everything. It was a typical MAGA rally, but I think this one was on steroids because of all the stuff that's been happening over the last year and a half. Trump said this, In a matter of mere months, Biden has thrown our southern border wide open. When I left office, he said, we handed the new administration the most secure border in U.S. history. They turned it into the greatest border disaster in U.S. history, probably anywhere in the world. You know, they're emptying their prisons out into our country, he said. And I'm not just talking about Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, and Mexico. I'm talking about Middle Eastern countries. Yemen. People are coming in from Yemen. Our country will really be in trouble. Will really be in trouble. Now, it was expected that he was going to make some announcement at this um, at this rally. I looked in, and I watched it because I just wanted to see what he had to say. Um, he wasn't as ugly and mean in his in his speech as he has been sometime. He uh, he didn't give President Biden any slack, but he wasn't mean and ugly. We're going to keep a eye on what Donald Trump is up to, and we'll let you know as we move forward. Lots of stuff going on in Afghanistan. Stay close here. We'll be back every day this week. As we told you, Roger Stone is going to be with us later on this week, and we're just basically going to let him go and tell us stuff that we're not hearing from mainstream media, anybody else. Thank you so much for being part of the family, being part of Truth News Network. We treasure your participation. You guys have a great, great day. If you need us, dan at truthnewsnet.org.